Hey, welcome to the Word Weaver podcast, a place dedicated to the powerful web words weave and the deep layers they uncover. Here you'll find a compilation of tips, tricks, and words of wisdom from writers, authors, creatives, and entrepreneurs. Basically, cool people doing cool things in the world and how they've used words as weapons of mass creation and inspiration. You'll also hear from me, your host, Louise Johnson. I'm a former marketing maven in New York and Switzerland. I left a lucrative job to follow my dream of becoming a writer. It's a never-ending journey, so I figured we should all be in it together. I've learned a lot along the way, but it's a constant evolution. My favorite part is how little by little, letters turn into words, words become sentences, sentences become paragraphs, and before you know it, you've created something from nothing. And whenever that happens in life, it's nothing short of magic. So grab a coffee or a glass of wine, and let's dive into today's chapter. Hello, welcome back to the Word Weaver podcast. On today's episode, I'm sharing a very candid conversation with Kalissa, the founder and host of the First Step podcast. So this episode that you're about to hear previously aired on the First Step podcast. So if you haven't already taken a listen over there or checked it out, definitely do that. Kalissa is amazing. She lives in Vancouver and has really fascinating topics every single week. She reached out to see if I would be interested in co-hosting her monthly book club on her podcast. And of course I said yes, there's nothing I love more than talking about a good book. So over the course of the next six months, we will be discussing six different books. The first one we chose was Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. It's the true story of the two authors who are best friends and co-hosts of the Call Your Girlfriend podcast on the complexities of female friendship and how they maintain this relationship over the course of their lives. In this episode, you'll hear Kalissa and I recap the book, give our reviews, and go deep into how the book's themes, from shine theory to stretching for our friendships, have affected our own lives. That to me is a sign of a really great book when there's so much juicy goodness to dissect and discuss, and there are parts that resonate so deeply with your own life that you stop and reflect. I would love to know if you enjoy this kind of episode. The next book we are reading is Monogamy by Sue Miller, so feel free to grab a copy, read along with us. That episode will be airing at the end of December, and I already can't wait to dive in and do a full book club review on this one. Without further ado, let's dive right on into the episode. Welcome to our first book club episode. Today we are talking about big friendship. Uh, I'm here with Louise. Hi guys. I'm so <laughs> excited to talk about this book with you. Me too. I feel like we were saying before we started the episode, but this honestly I don't think could have been a better book club pick for the first episode. No, I don't know how any book will top it after this. We've reached our peak already too early. (laughs) Yeah, but no, there's so much to discuss. Yes. Uh, So before we get into it, I'm going to give a little uh, recap of what the book was about, and then we're going to give our Goodreads reviews. So big friendship, how we keep each other close. A close friendship is one of the most influential and important relationships a human life can contain. Anyone will tell you that, but for all the rosy sentiments surrounding friendship, most people don't talk about what it really takes to stay close for the long haul. 
Now, two friends, Ami Natuso and Anne Friedman, tell the story of their equally messy and life-affirming fake friendship in this honest and hilarious book that chronicles their first decade in one another's lives. As the hosts of the hit podcast, Call Your Girlfriend, they become known for frank and intimate conversations. In this book, they bring their energy to their own friendship, its joys and its pitfalls, an inspiring and entertaining testament to the power of society's most underappreciated relationship. Fake friendship will invite you to think about your own bonds, or how your own bonds are formed, challenged, and preserved. It is a call to value your friendships in all of their complexity, actively choose them, and sometimes fight for them. Well, do you want to start and give your your uh, Goodreads review? For my Goodreads rating, I have to give this book a five. And I don't give fives lightly. Wow. But there's nothing I would change. I think I read it at the perfect time in my own personal life, too. So it really resonated. I could see if I read it maybe in a different season or a different stage, I might not have taken the lessons as tart. But... Yeah, I really loved it. I would recommend it. I would gift it. I love the cover. Yeah. The tone of voice. And I took so many notes. So I just have to give it a five. I haven't read a book that I really was excited to pick up off my bedside table in a long time. So what would you give this book? I would give it a four. I learned so many different things from it. It uh, talked about friendships in a way that I hadn't even thought about. It had so many different points, and we'll get into that in this episode. But I think my only thing that I didn't like about it is sometimes I felt like they repeated their uh, points like over and over again. So there were times in it that I would kind of lose focus, and I'd have to go back and reread the paragraph I was reading. That didn't happen often, and I will say that I think the best way to read it was in breaks, like not sit and read it all in one haul and, you know, over a month, take breaks, read a couple chapters, take a break, read another chapter, because there Mm -hmm. are so much information in it that is important to take in that you kind of have to, like, give yourself a little bit of a break in between those moments. But, again, I agree with everything you said, and I do think in all aspects it's a book that every woman should read. I will say that. Absolutely. No, I love that you gave it a four because I was kind of looking for faults to no book is perfect. Yeah. But yeah, you're that's a really good point. I think because I did I read it one chapter at a time and then I would that's where I would put my bookmark in and take a pause. Mm-hmm. So I gave myself that breathing room to really absorb each lesson and each chapter. Yeah. But I do they now that in hindsight that you're saying that I can see they did kind of repeat things in a different way mm-hmm. but maybe I just liked it because it really drilled it home yes yeah and again mm-hmm. like I think so many uh, I just I think everyone should read this book and it definitely in ways made me think about my friendships in my life and just like being a woman and being able to empower other women and the things that we should do. Like there's just so many different, I don't know, we can get into it now because there's just so many aspects of this book that I think are so important to talk about. And uh, yeah, that's why I think everyone should read it. <laughs> Me too. I didn't even, I, at first when I started reading it, I had, I couldn't help but relate everything they were saying to my romantic relationship initially. Okay. So I'm recently engaged and I'm living with my partner and everything they were saying about how they become, I mean, cliche, your best friend and the intimate emotional connection. 
I was like, well, I have that with him. But then it really made me take a step back and evaluate my female friendships in a way that I haven't in a very long time. Yeah. So I think it's helpful to know too that I'm recently 31. (laughs) (laughs) A new 31. I still think I'm 30 in my head. But I've entered that new decade of friendship where I'm actually one of the last people to get married. All of my friends have recently or are looking to buy homes and many of them are having their first babies. Um, so that was kind of a part in this book where it said your thirties to your fifties is one of the hardest times to maintain friendships because your adult responsibilities become so huge and take over your life. And I really like that. It made me pause and evaluate kind of my friendships, how they've evolved and where they currently are right now. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point. One of the things that they drill home into this book is that your friendships need to be worked at the same way that you work at your relationships with your partner and your relationships with your family. And there's one quote that like I have shared for the podcast that will say, it talks about this, how we, you know, if we are struggling with our relationships with our partners, we go to see a therapist, same with family, but there's no like therapist. And I love in this book that they go to therapy for their friendship. Like, I mean, I understand not necessary for every friendship, but I just love that they do that, that they realize that this person is someone who's so important in their life. And, you know, friendships are those people that we go to when we are wanting to make big life decisions, when we're having troubles in our personal relationships with our partners or our families, you know, those are the people we turn to from the time that we're a kid to when we're old. So it's so important to nurture those relationships and work at them in the same way that we do all the other relationships in our lives. 100%. And it was a kind of an aha moment for me to realize, oh my God, there's so many resources. Like you said, there's books, there's TV shows. It's kind of more normal to go to couples counseling with your significant other. And I love, like you said, that they went to couples counseling for their friendship because (laughs) it is just as important. And that was one of my biggest takeaways overall was friendship maintenance is similar Mm -hmm. to every other relationship in your life. Like we're taught as kids to make friends. It's important to make friends, go outside and play, make friends at school. That is kind of drilled home to us as the most important thing to make friends. But as we get older, you're not taught how to maintain those friendships or what to do if they break down. And that's what this book talks about, that exact phenomenon that happens to everyone. I get it's so relatable. Yes. I think every single person in the world can relate to this book because at one point or another, you've had a friend and you've either gone through rough patches and wondered like, oh, how, and I love that they say like, you know, when you go through a hard time with a friend, most of the time you just think, oh, well, you know what? Maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe it's just like, this is how we're supposed to grow apart. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to, in those moments, and I'm definitely guilty of it in my own certain friendships to think like, well, maybe I should put in the effort or also thinking like, oh, well, they don't want to work at it. So I won't work at it. Or, you know, those things that we think about and we don't put into action because it's easier to just let it go. A hundred percent. And we're taught that it's okay to walk away from toxic relationships or toxic friendships. That's 
really drilled into us too, but mm-hmm. not how to, well, is this worth salvaging? Is this wor- worth working at? Like any other relationship, a romantic relationship, our family relationships. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I was going to ask you, did it make you look back at your, do you have a lot of friends from like childhood through university and it kind of made you evaluate each of those friend groups. Yeah, I think it's interesting to like I'm 25, which is mm-hmm. another significant age I think in friendships. Like I feel like when you're in your 30s and then when you're 25, like those are kind of the two areas in your life where your friendships change. Again, they do also I think when you're older in your 40s and 50s as well. But 25 is kind of that point where you're more settled into your life. You're not in university anymore. And so when I look at my friendships, and especially a lot of mine live in different places because I've lived in four different cities in the last five years. And so it's my a lot of my relationship, good friendships are long distance. Mm-hmm. And so how you have to put in a lot more effort and a lot more work with those friendships in order to maintain them in a different way than you would if someone is living down the street from you, you know, when you're older, when, especially in our generation, a lot of us live in different areas and we're so connected through technology. And so, yeah, I think that even I actually listened to an episode of their podcast because the authors of this book um, have a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend. And the basis of the podcast is these two girls who uh, have a long distance friendship and they come on the podcast and they talk about different things in their lives. But it's, yeah, it's so interesting. I don't know. I think, like, it definitely made me think about the effort that I put in, how I maintain my friendships and stretch them. You know, they talk a lot about the theory of stretching your friendships. And, yeah. It's similar to stretching your muscles. Yeah. (laughs) Which is the other thing. I was like, I need to stretch more physically (laughs) and emotionally in my relationships. Yeah, I love that. It's like stretching a muscle. Otherwise, they get tight and weak. And you have to do that in your relationships. I'm similar to you in that I left home when I was 18 and I moved all around. I moved to New York. I moved to Switzerland. I moved to Boston. And then I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. And then eventually I moved back when I was your age, 25. So that's a pretty long gap of at that time. There's another thing that they talk about in the book is, I don't know what what the theory is called, but it's the stovetop four burners theory. That was one of my biggest highlighted circled notes where basically what the authors talk about is that you have a stovetop, there's four burners, one is for friendship, one is for family, one is for work, and one is for health. And you can't keep all four going at full heat all the time maybe you can have two at full capacity and the others you got to turn down. And the first one usually to go is that friendship burner because in your young twenties, early, you're trying to build your career. So for me, I was work burner was up high and I would say my family and my friendship burners were turned way down low. I was like, Oh, I'll get to those when I have more brain capacity after I built my career But in hindsight, I don't think that maybe was necessarily the best choice because that's what refills your cup is those relationships. And work won't be there at the end of the day. I mean, 
yeah, I wonder if I could have had a better balance. I do. I think it's hard. I Another thing they touch on at the end of the book is they have, I love this book because they incorporate so many other stats and books and they reference a lot of things. So it's not just them telling their story, but they also talk a lot about facts. They um, give a lot of information behind these theories that they're talking about. And mm-hmm. one of the things they say at the end of the book is how elderly people on their deathbed, you know, the things that they look back at and say the most were, I wish I had maintained those friendships, which is honestly really sad. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think we as a human species are just it's default, right? Like I need to go to work because I have to pay the bills. So obviously that's not going to get turned off. Like my mental health, I think is very important. So that in in mental health, physical health, all that is important so I can live, you know, so Mm -hmm. and do my job. Yeah, exactly. Those, those things on by default, just get turned down low because we don't have the capacity or time for it. But yeah, I do think it's the little things, you know, on the weekend, taking the time to like call someone or send them a message. I don't, I think we put a lot of pressure on this idea of like, oh, it has to be so big. You know, there's a lot of friendships. When I look at my life, there's people who maybe I'm not super close with at this moment or talking to every day, but I know that if we go and we see each other and we hang out, it'll be like right back to where we were two months ago or three months ago. Cause mm-hmm. there's that trust and there's that understanding and there's that history. So I think it's just maintaining that and not letting them go completely off, you know, like not turning them off completely. Yeah. And those are the best when those friends are kind of in the same boat as you, they, you both understand you're both kind of like, we're really busy, but we still care about each other. And when you come together, it's like no time has passed. I think the tricky part is when their term, the author's term stretching, you're stretching to try to keep that relationship. And somebody's just not giving Mm -hmm. as much as you're giving them. Yeah. And that's that's so tricky. So tricky. And that's, I think, a lot of the basis of their, how they grew apart in this book is because they were both like, well, I feel like you're not giving a feel, And that is a lot of lack of communication. You know, sometimes I think we have this fear of like confronting problems and friendships because we're scared of them disappearing and, or it's mm-hmm. not worth it. You know, we can just brush it under the rug and I'm totally guilty of that. I'm sure we're, we all are, but mm-hmm. it's hard to have those conversations. You know, they, definitely in this book have those difficult conversations. I love the scene where they're at the bar and they're having the conversation about race and the bartender comes over and gives them shots because he's like, you guys look like you needed this. <laughs> yeah, he goes, I don't know what you're talking about, but it looks like you both need a shot. And now they always do that when they have tough conversations. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me want to listen to their podcast too. I hadn't listened to it before. Yeah. Uh, but it is interesting that they have a whole podcast on friendship and then this book comes out and they're, they tell the story of their public friendship the, and the podcast is part of that. And then their private friendship behind the scenes, which the book details really well, I think, of how it was kind of unraveling and they were trying to figure it out. And then, like we said, they go to couples counseling for their friendship Because in a sense, they are a couple. Yeah, no, for sure. And you're not just, you know, business partners do it as well, because they are also business partners. And um, yeah, any relationship you have in your life needs to be worked at, I think, like, you know, maintenance was the big word I kept thinking of. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, one of my favorite parts, actually, I have like a list of notes here, but one of my favorite parts was when they're at, um, they're at parties and this happens at the beginning of the book and they ask friends, you know, how you ask a couple, how did you guys meet? And they ask like a group of friends, how did you guys meet? Like, I love that. (laughs) I love that too. I know that's so good. It's such a great, I'm like, I'm going to start doing that and like going to a party and asking, Oh, well, how did your, how did your friend group meet? Or how did you two meet? Like, I don't know why we put, I guess this, um, this preference on romantic relationships as opposed to friendships when really I think they should all be viewed as equal because everyone's different and everyone has different people in their lives at different times. So Mm -hmm. I think it's like bridging that gap between those two uh, theories of what's important. A hundred percent. And no one person can fulfill your every need. So your romantic relationship, you can't expect that one person to fulfill every single need that you have. And friendships are the same way. I mean, they had, they talked about their friend web, how Mm -hmm. they had each other as kind of their significant person. But then they also had other friends who, when uh, I forget who was in, or one was in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Aminatu was in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was Anne who was who kind of coordinated everybody dropping off snacks, but her other friend Shani was the one who was beside her. So their friend Webb kind of fulfilled different needs, but that was their core person was each other, mm-hmm. which is the exact same as a romantic relationship. So it's important that they highlight that because I don't think we talk about it or think about friendships in that context enough. Yeah, I love, I was every time, I mean, I'm sure you felt the same, but as I th- I was reading this book, I kept thinking and relating it back to my own life and like 100%. F- friend web is such an inch, the terms that they come up with, like they're so smart. <laughs> I know they need full merch and swag and <laughs> yeah. everything with all of their one word terms that are so I memorable. I know, I want a shine theory sweatshirt. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I had something I didn't know and that they created the term shine theory and that's my only reference of it is from Reese Witherspoon and I just think that that's something this podcast is all about is women sporting women and they really emphasize that in this book of you know your what the women who are in your life and who are you, you are friends with should be building you up and should be supporting you. I love that they take the opportunity to connect friends through friends, which is something sometimes I think people think is not a good idea mm-hmm. to intertwine your friend groups. But I personally, in my experience, have always been like that's something that people should always do. I know sometimes it can get tricky, and I've seen like certain friends in my life not want to do that, but. I don't know. I just get the sense of like, why not? If someone, if I have friends with someone and I have another friend and I think that they would hit it off, like, that's great. You know, that doesn't mm-hmm. take away from my friendship with either of them. I just feel like we should all be connecting each other because you never know what like is going to happen from it. Absolutely. It, it could open so many doors. I don't think there's any downside, but there's that mentality of scarcity of, well, if I mm-hmm. put that girl's name forward it's going to ruin my reputation or my chances. But these two friends really think the opposite. And that's how shine theory kind of developed. And yeah. I even love that it was Anne who wrote an article that went viral 
about shine theory. And she started getting all of the credit for coining this term. People were coming to her for book deals. People wanted to like trademark it with her. And she always would correct the record and say, no, actually it it is also Aminatu. Yeah. Who also coined this term with me. It's a joint venture. It's both of us. You have to give us both credit because people weren't crediting both of them. And that is shine theory. Yes. Yes. And I think that's a really good lead into, they have, um, all a huge chapter of their book is about race and about their interracial relationship. And mm-hmm. honestly, I like read that chapter so slowly because I think that it had a lot of key takeaways from it. It's actually, I was reading it last night and after I had a, like a, me and my family had a huge discussion about it and we talked about our own lives and how, um, I think one of the key chapters of the book or key points of the chapter was that they talk about how a black person views their friend group as opposed to a white person and the people that they have in their life and how they did studies on who, how many uh, interracial um, friendships a white person would view their friend group having as opposed to a black person. And the percentage were like vastly different. Mm -hmm. And then when they did it for wedding parties, how many um, people a white person had in their wedding party of mixed race as opposed to a black person, like again, was very different. And I think it's like interesting because, and I love that they did a shout out like Canada, you apply too, because I think, I know. (laughs) I I loved that because like, we in Canada sometimes think that we're like exempt from, exempt from it. Yeah. And we're not cultural revolution. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so I think that it's important to think about these things and read and read books. I love that. Like they talk about this and it really made me think about my relationships and my friends and people who I have in my circle and really like look at it and then also look in like a daily life and like my experiences. I've lived in four major cities that are very diverse. And so, you know, my friend group should look diverse. Like, is it diverse enough? So I think that I love that they have this conversation and um, Mm -hmm. the way that they addressed it. Yeah. And they've been friends for a decade and it kind of was this discussion in the book was sparked by they went to a backyard party and Aminatu looked around and there was no one who looked like her. And it wasn't so much that, but it was that Anne didn't notice. She -hmm. didn't bring it up first. She wasn't aware. Whereas like she has the privilege to not be aware of that. Yeah. And that was kind of what sparked this discussion where Anne kind of didn't think of race in their relationship was my take of it. Yeah. But you can't have a deep friendship without recognizing it. Like her silence was hurting her best friend Yeah, in that sense. So I'm glad that they talked about it and they learned how to communicate about it. And that was a learning point for everyone, I think. Yeah, I think that's, uh, there it was a good friendship. I love that they talk about um, friendships that they look up to and like famous people that they look up to. And, you know, they use Gail and Oprah as an example, which honestly, when I think about friendships to look up to is probably the <laughs> epitome of like, friendships. Yeah. <laughs> like they've been friends for so long and like, um, they've been like each other's like person in their life that they come to of different things. And they've had, I love like, you know, they think about uh, class and money, these different factors that have played into their relationship 
um, is just so interesting. And I, yeah, I think it's, it's there, especially theirs is a good relationship to look and see how we can learn from it and evolve from it. And yeah, it's so, so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was interesting in the book, how I, you, everyone kind of knows Gail and Oprah, our best friends. I didn't know that Oprah has a wing in her house called the Gail wing or Gail's wing. <laughs> and I didn't know how they met their friendship story. Okay. Yeah. Of how they met at the TV network and Gail crashed on Oprah's couch and they were both kind of coming up in the world. And that was an interesting discussion as well of how Oprah obviously skyrocketed in wealth and success and fame. Mm-hmm. And Gail, she has her own acclaim now, but it took a lot longer. For a lot of years, she yeah. was behind the scenes, was not as successful as Oprah, but she never was made to feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Which is was, something that could easily have made her feel bad. She could have felt like resentful. jealous, resentful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all these different things. And I think that again, just goes back to who you are as a person and the character and how you're able to address your friendships and the people in your life and um, being able to support one another. Mm-hmm. There was one part I was at earlier on in the book where they both say that they're social initiators So out of, and that's what bonded them initially is that they were both the type of people to say, Hey, let's go to a museum this weekend. Here's a calendar invite. Their shared love language was making and keeping plans. Yeah. They would all, they would host joint parties together. Even when they didn't live together, they would always be the ones planning the trips. Are you the social initiator in your friend group? What did you think of that? Yeah, I am in every friend group, like in every friendship I have, I'm always the person who is like, let's do this. Let's do this. And I love doing it. I'm like, that's just who I am as a person. And I like to plan things and I like to organize, but I do find my issue with that is sometimes I have to look back and think like, okay, am I putting in all of the effort? Are they putting in the same amount of effort? Because Mm -hmm. it can be very easy for me to just get caught up in like planning things all the time and not getting things back. So that is, I think, my one thing in friendships that I have to be a little bit aware of because Mm -hmm. sometimes I've kept friendships going for so long and this is not the point of this book at all, what I'm about to say, but like kept kept friendships going that maybe should have, I should have said something or I should have addressed or I like shouldn't, was in all realness a toxic friendship because we weren't getting things on both sides. So mm-hmm. yeah. What about you? I, I would actually think that is the big point of the book is that it makes you realize, Oh, I need to communicate better my feelings versus because that's what the demise of their friendship in the book. I, I mean, yeah, no, that's true. Is that they didn't communicate how they were actually feeling and everybody assumed that, Oh, well, that's, that's why they're reacting this way or whatever. So yeah. it's funny. I, are you an extrovert? No, I'm an introvert. Introvert. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. But you could be extroverted introvert. I think I'm a full introvert or extroverted introvert, I guess. I can have spurts of extroversion and energy when I'm out. But then when I come home, I really need a lot of alone time to recharge, regroup. That's how I my creativity flows. I'm a homebody. So for me, my default is not social initiating because my preference is to be home in my sweatpants with a glass of wine, 
working on, I'm a writer, so working on my book, writing an article, kind of doing things that bring me joy, but that is also, I, I have deemed productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's been a big shift in reading this book for me is that hanging out with my friends is also productive. It's not either or like that is, it's just as important as refueling my tank at home. So I'm, I'm curious and I hope that I can find a better balance after reading this moving forward. And that to me is a sign of a good book where it makes you evaluate your own behavior and want to change it. Yeah. And I think as like, I'm also a creative person, I find when I go out into the world and I hang out with my friends, I get creative inspiration from that. And so if I don't do that, then I hit lulls. Like right now being in COVID and like not being in lockdown again and like all these things that are happening, it's like, you have to, I have to like, I actively am the person that's like, let's do a Zoom hangout. Let's do this because I, that's where I get my creative inspiration is like having conversations with other people and like sharing stories and like just even knowing like what's going on in their day or talking about something. That's how I like, you know, build my creative inspiration. So I think that's why I'm like, I need to plan things. I need to, I'm also like, I need to know what I'm doing in the next two weeks. Some people mm-hmm. are like, oh, what should I do tonight? And are very like spontaneous and I'm not that person. So that's why I <laughs> plan everything. (laughs) I think we're both planners. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think too, at the stage I'm in, in life, if I plan once a month to virtually hang out with a friend now that we're in COVID or go for a walk with a friend, that that is actually good enough because I mean, there's four weekends in a month. Mm -hmm. The other three weekends, they are, a lot of them are dealing with babies trying to see like in-laws, getting groceries, all the adult chores that you can't really do during the week when you have a full-time job. Yeah. You have three weekends to get it done. And then the one weekend I get to see them to me, I'm like, okay, that was a good month. (laughs) (laughs) I think too, that's a good point of like, everyone is different in what they want out of a friendship. Some people are maybe like me. I'm like, okay, like certain friends, I'm like, I'm probably talking to them once a week. And some people are like, you know, like you said, I'm good. But once a month, that's good enough for me. So I think that's finding that balance is, again, this all goes back to like communication mm-hmm. and um, putting in the effort with friendships. And, you know, maybe you guys want different things, but as long as you are open and having those conversations about it is what is important. Right. Yeah. It's making sure that we're both on the same page, that this feels good for our relationship. And that yeah. once a month is uh, face-to-face in-person time, yeah, which is getting harder and harder. But the other side of the coin is the digital communication where daily... So that's the thing. Are you a big texter? Are you good with your phone? Do you respond promptly? Yeah, I am. I mean, yes, I am because oh my God, you're the, you're a good friend. <laughs> I work. It's because I worked in an industry for a long time where I constantly had to be on my phone like all day, like just being aware. So now I have like had to separate myself from my phone but yeah I mean I'm still on my phone so I just I I'm not the person I don't like if I see a text message I don't wait to respond to it because it will just bother me and I'll forget about it so I respond right away to everything (laughs) yeah I have the opposite kind of issue where I 
if I see the text message, I will for sure respond right away. Yeah. I actually turn my phone off during the day, Mm -hmm. completely off. And I put it in a drawer in my bedroom because that's how I get work done. And I'm super disciplined about it. And now I've, my friends know this behavior from me. It's taken a while, but they, they expect a delayed response, but now it's, it's not because I'm ignoring them. It's because they know, okay, she's working. This is kind of her behavior. It doesn't mean no, she doesn't yeah. like me or she doesn't take personally. But that being said, before they kind of were trained or I explained it to them, I'm sure there was a lot of hurt feelings and misunderstandings of why do you ignore me all the time? And then once I explained it, they're like, okay, well, now that I know, I feel better about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think actually this is, we should go into some of our discussion questions that we have because this is one of them, like this really relates, but one of them is how has the pandemic affected your friendships? And I don't know if you want to start and talk about that because it's something it's super relevant for everyone right now. I love this question so much. It's so relevant. So I think back to the beginning of the pandemic, March, we were all in lockdown. It was really scary, uncertain time. I don't know if you had the Zoom meetings were rampant. (laughs) I hadn't heard of Zoom before and everybody is on Zoom. I had a games night set up. I actually think I face-to-face saw more friends in those first few months than I had previously because it was the scarcity effect of now that I can't see you, it's not available to us as an option you kind of get almost, oh my God, I need to see you more. So yeah. I had a lot more Zoom calls, a lot more phone calls. Actually, I'm an old lady at heart. I'm, <laughs> I have a landline. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. It's, it's a, one of those vintage kind of mint cover colored wow. rotary phones. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I have a landline and I, because then that way you can't have messages popping up or you can't be just on your phone. It's it, makes you call your friends. So I would call people from my landline. And then the summer hit, people kind of got used to it. And I think now we're going into winter. We're in another lockdown as of tomorrow here in Toronto. Yeah. And already people are trying to plan more Zoom nights. And I think it's kind of ramping back up to social relationships. Friendships are really important. We kind of let it slide over the summer, but let's get back into a routine yeah. Of talking to each other. So yeah, basically to answer the question of like, how has it affected my friendships? I think it has strengthened some of them mm-hmm. and then others, because you can't really see them, they've naturally just fallen by the wayside in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends. Like I have, I, I agree at the beginning in March when everything was happening, for me, again, because a lot of my friends don't live where I live to begin with, it was mm-hmm. like a good re- it, it just made sense. It's like, oh, well, we can't see each other anyways. But even if we were together, we wouldn't be able to see each other. And so for that reason, I actually think that some of my friendships strengthened because of it. Mm-hmm. But again, some people don't like going on Zoom. I sometimes don't like going. I might sit at a computer all day for work. I don't want to go on Zoom after work all the time every day. True. So I think that in some cases, it wasn't the best because yeah, Mm -hmm. those people that you normally like to see in certain situations um, in person, maybe you like our workout friends or like, you know, it's hard to make that transition. So I think in some ways you got to get creative. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, and that was one of the things that I was really 
pleasantly surprised by is how creative we got in our friendships. Before, we would just hang out, see each other. It was nothing unusual, but we started doing friends cooking classes. Each friend (laughs) would choose a recipe and on Zoom, show each other how to make it. We had a code names night, a trivia night. My sister, who was one of my best friends, and also friends with my larger group of friends started doing Zumba classes. So we would do these live dance workout classes. Yeah. And stuff you never would have done pre-pandemic. And I yeah. think all of that has bonded us as well. Yeah. In a way that we'll talk about when we're 80. Like, remember that Zumba class we did in 2020, that crazy year? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I I know. I love all the creative things that people have had to do during this time. What are some some of the differences between how your friendships appear to others and how they feel on the inside? And then have you ever made the mistake of seeing a friend's social media update and assuming you're all caught up on that friend's life? I love this question. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important. It's so important for today's, like, day and age, I think, the problem with social media too sometimes and like I love social media but I think sometimes the issue with it especially in friendships is you see someone post something on social media and then you think oh well what are they doing or um you feel that sometimes you feel this sense of being left out Mm -hmm. of situations because you're seeing like oh well I haven't seen them in a while why wasn't I invited to this thing Yeah, that's something for me. I definitely have felt, and I think the other sense is, yeah, Mm -hmm. you like you connect on social media. Friends who, for me, live in different places will post something, and I'll respond to it, and then I feel like, oh, well, you know, like I definitely like have caught up with them, and that's like good enough when really it shouldn't be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or you scroll through their feed, and you think they don't even know that you have caught up virtually with them, quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also, so I use my social media almost now as a marketing and a business tool. It's not necessarily my, I mean, it's my real life, but it's definitely a curated version as it is with everyone. So often what I'm posting is kind of for my author book career. Yeah. And I always worry, I'm very sensitive to this, is do my friends because that's not necessarily always how I am in real life. It's not a, it's a version of me. It's one little layer of the onion, yeah. but it's not all of me. And then my real friends see all of me and then they can see the posts and they go, what? Like, I didn't know you were doing that or this. And I go, oh yeah, I, I forgot to tell you that. That's kind of my work. That's my job. I, when I hang out with you, I don't always want to talk about work. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's a hard because it's you, it's personal, but it's also business. I find it a tricky one and a very interesting one to navigate. Yeah, I think also the hard part with social media is some people definitely, everyone uses it in different ways. And I always worry, do they think I'm overposting? Or I don't know, I get in my own head about how I use social media and how that affects my real life friendships. Because at the end of the day, that's who I really care about. It's not necessarily strangers on the internet, what yeah. they think of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard one for sure. Mm-hmm. And that in this book, Big Friendship, it's 
interesting. Both of the authors have different takes on social media. Anne keeps her account private. She doesn't like sharing her real life with other people, but she's so happy to meet all of her podcast listeners and people in real life versus Aminatu, who loves having her personal life or her Instagram open. She doesn't care if anybody follows her, but she's an introvert and gets really nervous meeting people in person. So it's funny how both of them have also different takes on how they use their social media. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's, it's honestly in today's day and age, social media plays a role in every friendship. And I think it's something that's important to like discuss and, you know, just, I guess if you do have issues with it to like bring it up because mm-hmm. you don't want to let it ruin things. It's a stupid thing to let ruin a friendship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Communication is key and we're all scared to do it because we don't want to lose that friendship. But that is at the end of the day, how we can maintain and strengthen our current relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a question here I want to ask and um, it says in the past, have you, how, how have you dealt with conflict in friendships? Which I think is a really important one. It's something that no matter how old you are, I think everyone has been in a fight with a friend or who someone has lost. We've lost friends over the years or just grown apart from friends. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that is such a good question and such a hard one because in the past, I don't think I dealt with it well. I think I'm, I retreat from conflict. So if I feel hurt, instead of discussing it and telling that person, you really hurt me, this is why I feel this way, I just shut off, I retreat, I kind of just back away from it and immediately have walls up and just don't trust that person again. Mm-hmm. which after reading this and just in r- recent years and growing older, there's no need for that kind of reaction and to be so closed off. All I need to do is discuss it and bring it to the table. And a lot of the problem is assumptions. I assume they meant something when yeah. maybe they had different intentions and I took it the wrong way all of that could have been resolved very easily if we all just sat down and had a mature conversation. But I think that is, it is very hard. Yeah. Also in friend groups, you always worry if I bring it up and have this conversation, are they going to talk behind my back? Am I going to be that friend who causes conflict and trouble? And then you're gossiped about. But I think that we have to let that go and if we really want to salvage the friendship, just address it head on. What do you think? Yeah, I this question actually, it made me think about something that happened to me recently where I had a close friend, well, still a close friend, but um, someone, something happened in the summer that like made me not feel good about our friendship and made me like drift away from that person a little bit. And then recently the situation that happened got brought up and I realized that she like didn't think anything of it and that she didn't like intend to like make me feel any certain type of way. And like, I was just like way more upset about it than she ever was. Cause to her, in her mind, like nothing had even happened. And I think that this is like, it was like made me think about, Oh, well, 
maybe if I had said something, then it would have been addressed really easily because she wasn't upset at all about it. Clearly only I was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wouldn't have led to this kind of buildup of me feeling like, oh, like, well, we're drifting away, blah, 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 all these like things that happen in this book. A hundred percent. Yeah, that was the first thing that I could think of and made me realize, you know, like, even though those conversations are sometimes difficult to have, they are important to have because Mm -hmm. then the default is to just kind of let it simmer and then either it builds up to like a bigger fight or you just end up drifting away. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad it did get brought up even a couple months (laughs) later and that you could address it. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. I want to end on a, a like a more fun question in this uh, guide, and Let's it says, do it. "Describe a ritual you have in one of your big friendships, and describe a new ritual you would like to start." Ooh, that's a fun one. Yeah. Why don't you start with this one? Okay. Um, <laughs> I have to think about this for a minute. <laughs> Brought up this question, and I don't have an answer. Um, describe ritual. Hmm. Do you have, are you in a book club with your friends at home? It's definitely rituals with friends now is different with COVID. Yeah. And especially since we're going into lockdown. Yes. The other day, all of, it was my friend's birthday, but obviously she can't have a birthday party. We can't go into each other's homes. We're all trying to be pretty safe and respect COVID protocol. So she was, why don't we meet up for a walk? So now walks, we get Christmas cup from Starbucks or Tim Hortons, some festive cheer. We all cheers our peppermint mochas and we go for a walk and we explore a new neighborhood. So that's kind of a new one in COVID times. And it's really kept us outdoors, exploring new places in our city that we might've normally not done. Yeah. I think like I'm trying to, I don't like, I think I'm in my mind, it, it needs to be this bigger thing that it is, but it doesn't. And Um, I mean, I have a friend who lives in LA. She used to be my roommate and we definitely, uh, we both love Love Island. Well, she got me hooked on Love Island. And so we definitely will have phone calls or Zoom calls about Love Island (laughs) and we call it our Love Island book club. So I I think that that. that's probably one, but um, yeah, the walks, I love the walks. I definitely go for walks all the time now. I also have Mm -hmm. a bachelor like, uh, group that we watch bachelor together like virtually we have like a thread i do too we 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 type as we're like what i can't believe this is happening blah blah blah. yeah Um, i think yeah those little things like that i would definitely like to like incorporate more of them especially right now with everything going on in the world i think now's the the time to do those things and like Mm -hmm. get creative and um create more rituals. I love that they have a friendship anniversary in the book that they are like, we're going to celebrate our friendship and how many years we've been friends for. Cause that's honestly such an accomplishment. Like you don't think about it, but to have someone in your life for that long that you choose to have in your life is amazing. That has seen you through so many different stages and is still showing up and still there. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 I have one friend, I'll get Jessica that I have known her since we were two years old, three years old, maybe. And we have grown through every single stage together, but we've, we went to different universities. We lived in different cities for years. We live in different places right now, but that is still one of my strongest bonds and emotional bonds. And we're both in that same place where nobody, even my fiance doesn't know me 
in those stages of life like she does. She knows parts of me and has seen me evolve to be this person who I am right now. And that's a pretty amazing quality and thing to have in life. So I really treasure that friendship in particular. Yeah, I think that's true. All all of the different people and all the different friends that you have come into your life are for a reason. And Mm -hmm. they know you at different points in your life and they know you in different ways. The people who you've known since you were little or in high school or university or after that, like are all going to know you in different ways and have different perceptions of you. And I think that that's a good thing. Like it's good to have people look at you in those different ways. And she can call me and say, you're being, you're being weird. (laughs) This isn't you. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that I do want to note as well, because it's really important is that I have two sisters and we grew up, we're pretty close in age. And I've always felt like I had built in best friends. We still do everything together. They're the ones that I call when I have bad news, when I have good news. So I always wondered too, if I have a lot of good group, like good group of girlfriends from all over the world, but my best friends are my sisters. And I always wondered if I never felt the need to really develop or maintain other friendships as much because I always had my two sisters kind of in the background built in already, which is an interesting dynamic. I wonder if I had brothers, I would have sought out those really strong female bonds. Yeah, I think it is interesting. Of course, like who you have in your life. I look at, um, I have some friends who have very extensive family and just like a lot of cousins and a lot of people in their life just because they grew up in that way. And like, while in some ways I have that, I don't have sisters. So I don't have a lot, a lot of my close girlfriends are people who I've made over the years in different um, situations, but Yeah, the family aspect and the people that you already have in your life, I think definitely plays a role in the different groups of friends. I think one thing I've always struggled with is um, the terminology around friendships and, you know, the term best friend and the like. (laughs) 100%. I just have always like, and like, even, for example, like wedding parties, like having those people, I like, I like the idea of having people who are, you are close with and who stand up for you, but I don't like the idea of choosing certain people that you are this to me, you are that to me, because in all honesty, different people have been different things to me at different points in my life. So how am I at one point supposed to choose forever? You know, <laughs> I could not agree more. And I'm so happy you brought up that point. Cause that is huge and such a part of our culture is choosing your bridesmaid party. There's so much marketing towards it and I'm engaged, getting married and I've decided I'm not having a bridal party. I'll have my sisters and then my, I can't say fiance, seriously, my boyfriend, (laughs) my fiance, his sister, he has a sister as well. They're going to stand up with me there. And then because I, I can't choose, I don't. I don't believe in a hierarchy of friendships. Yeah. yeah. And exactly like you said, there's some people who currently, at this phase of my life, maybe I talk to more regularly or they're more active, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're a better friend than other friendships that I've had. Yeah. It's I think it's crazy. It is crazy, and it's hard. I think like 
Yeah, I don't know. There's like, and I that's again, we can go back to this book why I think that it is a good read for every woman to read at every point in their life because it's not something that we always think about our friendships. We just take them for granted sometimes. We just accept the fact that they're here. And yeah, we need to, um, that's why everyone should go and read this book. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just looking at the back of the cover or the back cover, and Hillary Clinton says, This story is as universal as it is revolutionary. And that sums it up. It is universal, but it also is revolutionary in that it makes you reevaluate and rethink your relationships. Yes. And I think that is a great point to end on. (laughs) This was awesome. I love talking about it and I can't wait for our next book club pick. Yes. Everyone can stay tuned because on December 1st, we will be releasing our new book club pick. That's it for today's episode of the Word Weaver podcast. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, screenshot and share it on social media, and be sure to check out the show notes at louiseclairjohnson.com slash podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Word Weaver podcast. Until next time. You call it substance over style.